Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Tuesday, the 13th of October, 2020, and we're back with episode 164. First, a quick reminder, if you're a fan of this podcast, please don't forget to drop me five stars on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check us out at hogandco.com. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O.com. And of course, you can follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. Today, a different point of view on autonomous vehicle safety metrics. When do we ban human drivers? And EVs creating a roadmap to AVs. All this right now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So, in Europe, a study was recently conducted by the Thatcham Research and the Euro NCAP, which tried to arrive at the answer to the age-old question, renewed yearly, what is the safest vehicle on the road? And it's quite likely that you fall into one of two camps. Either you kind of stick with the status quo of the last several decades in which you assume that something from the likes of Volvo or perhaps Mercedes come out on top, in which case you'd be well, you have a 50% chance of being right. We'll get to that in a minute. Or you fall into the newer camp, which says, well, obviously it's a Tesla, because as we all know, Teslas have the best passive safety systems in the world, namely their uh, so-called autopilot system, the ADAS suite of technologies that they use, the automated driver assistance systems. And of course, their physical structural safety engineering is admittedly second to none. In fact, famously, even on the rollover test, a Tesla's roof failed to crush. Instead, the crushing mechanism exploded. Similarly, when trying to roll a Tesla Model X, they couldn't get the thing to roll. So needless to say, you're pretty on the mark if you were to guess that Tesla is the safest vehicle in the world. Except you'd be wrong, at least according to the results of this particular test, because Tesla came in frankly, shockingly low, down at number six on this list. It was specifically the Tesla Model 3. Here's why. The experiment and the results are ultimately broken down into three primary categories. There's vehicle assistance, for which, admittedly, Tesla did indeed rank the highest, with 91 points out of 100. There was safety backup, for which, again, Tesla did indeed rank the highest, with 95 points out of 100. But crucially, and this is where Tesla fell um, actually very much far behind, uh, there was the category of driver engagement, for which, well, if you guessed Mercedes, in this case, you would, you would have been right, because the Mercedes-Benz GLE scored 85 points out of 100, compared to Tesla's shockingly low 36 points out of 100. 
And so as a result then, when these were all taken together as a whole, uh, ultimately Mercedes was crowned uh, the champion. And this is really interesting, right? Because it does go to show, as Master Obi-Wan has always said, that things do really depend on your point of view. It is, again, just to be clear, indisputable that from a vehicle assistance point of view, from a safety backup point of view, the electronic systems of a Tesla are arguably superb. And yes, the physical crash safety is second to none, literally. But the biggest point of contention with Tesla has really been its driver engagement, or as demonstrated by this particular experiment, its lack of driver engagement. Here's Here's what this means, right? So one of the critiques that Tesla has received time and time again, rightfully so, I should say, is that it's just too easy to get distracted. Yes, the steering wheel asks you every now and then to apply some turning force to literally grab it or really just put your pinky to the wheel and apply a little bit of torque to the steering wheel. Um, But that's it. It's easy to cheat the system. It doesn't really require much more than simply using your knee to nudge the wheel. In contrast, though, Mercedes, for instance, have, uh, they require much more, right? They require that you actually have capacitive contact with the wheel with your fingers. Um, If I'm honest, I'm not sure whether that's yet implemented in the current GLE that's discussed. Certainly, I believe the new S-Class has just such a wheel. But the point is, and it doesn't even require getting into too much detail here, what does matter is simply the notion that If you've got an interim technology vehicle, like a Tesla, which is decidedly not level three, maybe it's very, very good level two, let's say, and certainly if we had true level three vehicles on the road, of which, at least in some markets, Audi does have a vehicle which more or less checks those requisite boxes to qualify as level three, the problem is, and I say problem, it's why Many automakers, including, say, Ford, for instance, are actually completely leapfrogging level three because they're concerned it's just too much of an interim tech, and there's just too much difficulty knowing when and how to hand off control at a moment's notice from the car to the human. Because, you see, that's the big challenge, right? That's the big sort of – that's the weird thing about level three, right? So with level two cars – just take a step back for a second. Remember, with level two cars, it's, it's understood that you, the human driver, needs to effectively always be in control. Never mind the fact that as we're discussing with Tesla, and that is exactly the issue here, with Tesla, it's very easy not to be in control. It's very easy to kind of space out, to zone out, and actually, yeah, to fall asleep. I've talked about this quite a bit in the past. As a reminder, I have acknowledged many times that, ironically, in a Tesla, uh, on autopilot late at night, it's very easy for me, for me to just zone out. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot more... There, I am very consciously aware that I could very easily fall asleep in a Tesla. Never mind the fact that, yeah, ironically, I'm less likely to die if I did fall asleep, but that's that's not a good situation to be in. In order to safely fall asleep, you'd, I mean, yeah, you'd have to have a level four vehicle being driven in only those conditions in which the level four vehicle can indeed safely drive. So for example, dedicated lanes on a, on a freeway or a dedicated road, certain weather conditions, certain mapped out areas, say, and obviously with level five vehicles, by definition, there wouldn't even be a steering wheel. So of course, yeah, that wouldn't be an issue there either. But with level three vehicles, um, and even very, very advanced level two, which let's, I guess that's where you could drop Tesla, very advanced level two, That is a very tricky thing because, again, you're not strictly speaking in control all of the the time, but 
the car may indeed need to hand over control to you, the human driver, at a moment's notice, right? And that is the tricky thing, at a moment's notice. It's immediate. And by definition, if you're spaced out, if you're zoned out, you won't be able to take over at a moment's notice. Depending on what study you read, if you're sufficiently zoned out, you can need anywhere from 10 to 30 seconds to kind of snap back to reality, figure out what's going on, and take control safely of the vehicle. This whole sort of situational awareness thing, um, yeah, you only do have seconds to, to, to regain that situational awareness. Again, it's a very different thing, say, to the cockpit of an airplane where, frankly, things don't happen at seconds notice. So, so that's the issue here, and that's why, at least in this particular test, yeah, Mercedes did get crowned the winner for overall safety vehicle because even though its actual assistance systems may not have been as good as, say, what you might find in a Tesla, for instance, uh, the fact is the driver is kept more engaged. Or put another way, it's less easy for the driver to space out, to zone out, and frankly, not to be in control. Now, a lot of people have asked me over the last couple of years, and indeed over the last, well, since June, since my wife and I picked up our Tesla Model Y, yeah, but Mark, isn't that a bit distracting, or at least isn't it kind of annoying to have to remain so kind of focused, so zoomed in, so in the loop when driving a Tesla? Because yeah, it's it's not really fully in control. You are, um, except to the extent that you sort of kind of aren't. Um, look, it it is a bit let me answer it like this. No, I personally do not find it annoying. I would never again for a daily driver vehicle have anything other than a Tesla or at least a vehicle with Tesla type of um, semi-autonomous systems, ADAS systems that Tesla has, uh, although there is nobody really on the market offering anything anywhere near as good. So let's just stick with Tesla as the kind of benchmark, shall we say. Um, so yeah, it. Um, so no, I don't find it annoying. Yes, it does require a sort of a sort of heightened focus and concentration, not so much on the driving element, but rather on the on the aspect of precisely not spacing out, not zoning out, not falling asleep, not letting yourself to get distracted, say fiddling with the uh, with the infotainment display, or certainly, obviously, as law prohibits anyway, uh, fiddling with your phone, or otherwise letting yourself be distracted. That's where the focus and the concentration is really um, placed. It's on disallowing yourself from getting uh, disfocused. It's, it's on the concentration, disallowing yourself to not pay attention. Um, so, so yeah, is there some effort required? Yes, there is. But the net result is vastly superior to the alternative. Nevertheless, um, again, it does depend on your point of view. I, I don't necessarily disagree with the results of this survey. Um, but that said, Tesla do have a little camera, which is currently physically installed, but not with software yet activated inside of a Tesla. And the idea is that it's going to be used actually to monitor passengers um, for when you add your Tesla to the Tesla robo taxi fleet eventually. I would be very surprised if this wouldn't eventually be activated to do driver monitoring to make sure that in fact you're not drifting, you know, drifting off to sleep or something. Um, but we shall see what happens there.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so next, let's talk about the burning question on everyone's minds. When do we ban human drivers? So we've talked about this forever, right? The fact that, you know, in the U.S. alone, we're losing essentially the same number of lives every month as we lost during 9-11. And I do intentionally always use that horrific analogy because we humans, we sort of suck at kind of visualizing large numbers, right? So we're losing something like 36,000, 38,000 people per year here in the U.S. just due to, uh, to, 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 to vehicle traffic accidents. And astonishingly, something like 94% of those are caused by human mistakes. We just aren't very good drivers. I've seen reports, I've heard arguments that suggest they actually – we're not bad drivers. We actually do reasonably well. That it's foolish to make such an argument that humans are bad drivers. But again, it depends on your point of view. I mean, look, if you zoom out to the entire world, we're talking about 20 to 50 million worldwide auto injuries and a million and a quarter worldwide auto deaths. Again, 94% of these are caused by human error. If you compare these sort of accidents against other causes of death, natural and unnatural alike, unnatural being defined as, well, yeah, road accidents or, say, suicide, for instance, what's astonishing is that, that, that deaths caused by vehicle accidents is actually the first non-natural cause of death. Uh, after that, there is suicide. Um, but put a different way, Deaths caused by road incidents um, cause more deaths per year around the world than liver disease, tuberculosis, kidney disease, digestive disease, even more than HIV and AIDS. And then only after those do you end up at suicide. So the idea that humans are good drivers, or at least that human drivers are good enough, that's sort of like somebody once said that that America's response to COVID is good enough because we've only lost something like 220,000 American lives due to COVID. I mean, that, that's just an absurd argument, right? Or to look at it in terms of percentages, if you want to say, oh, we've only lost, say, 1% of people to such and such. I mean, yeah, but 1% of a large number is still a massively huge number. As we say in the tech startup world, okay, you have maybe a quarter percent of equity in a startup as, say, an advisory board member, which sounds like nothing, but yeah, a quarter percent of a lot is still a lot. So, so I think this argument that humans are good enough is um, disingenuous at best and extremely dangerous at worst, right? So anything that kind of allows main, maintenance of the status quo, when that status quo is literally actually causing the death of lives unnecessarily, that's not okay. In fact, as I said at a recent um, 
discussion with the Rotary Club of Santa Monica, California, a while back. And I will be sharing again in November with the Dallas-Fort Worth chapter of the Rotary Club. I think with respect to the timeline of autonomous vehicles, which has from at least, in at least one respect, now been accelerated thanks to what Waymo uh, just rolled out in Arizona, as we discussed in the previous episode. Now you can you can actually summon a truly driverless Waymo One Chrysler Pacifica minivan, no backup driver in the seat at all. I mean, at least from that point of view, the true driverless vehicle revolution is indeed upon us as of October 2020. And so that may have accelerated things a bit, but here, here's where I'm going with this, right? So yes, things were delayed a bit and autonomous vehicles fell squarely in the center of the so-called trough of disillusionment. But as illustrated by what Waymo has just done, and also a recent blog article by one of our associates, Nick Reed, he's a PhD from the University of Oxford. He just published a wonderful blog on this. You can find it both both at his website, Reed Mobility, and over at our HoganCo.com blog as well. Um, the truth is, it may well be the case that now autonomous vehicles are just starting to kind of rise out of that so-called trough of disillusionment into the eventual, you know, well on their way to their eventual, uh, what is it, plateau of enlightenment or whatever it's called. Um, and, and, and so when you look at that time frame, yeah, I think imagining a world 10 years from now in 2030, level four vehicles really should be kind of an everyday part of life at least in certain geographic regions, okay? So maybe it's inner urban city areas, maybe it's certain lanes, certain freeways getting from A to B. But by 2030, level four should really be a thing, and level five should really be on its way to healthy testing and kind of ubiquitous testing, even if it's not truly available yet for public consumption. Here's the thing. As I said at those several events, and I've said elsewhere besides, if we do not see such proliferation of level four vehicles by 2030, then frankly, it's not due to the failures or shortcomings of all the brilliant scientists and engineers working on this stuff. Rather, it'll be the politicians' fault, as is always the case. They will have failed us. It'll be their fault. And we can look them squarely in the eye and say that they are responsible for the ongoing 3,000 deaths per month, 36,000 deaths per year here in the U.S., and the million and a quarter deaths around the world every year. It'll be their fault, because the technology will indisputably be ready within 10 years. And so if the laws and the policies haven't stepped up to the challenge to adapt accordingly, yeah, it's their fault. Which conveniently leads to our third and final segment today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This notion that electric vehicles are effectively creating a roadmap to autonomous vehicles. This is essentially the title for a really great article by one Salika Josiah Talbot. She's a professorial lecturer at American University. She wrote this article over at Forbes. 
And she's really laid out quite succinctly this point of view, this argument that I've been saying for quite some time that electric vehicles offer a really great proxy for autonomous vehicles, at least with respect to to their deployment. So if you think back to something I've said in the past, you know, there's this question of when indeed are we going to see, you know, worldwide saturation of autonomous vehicles. So we've often looked at the at, at electric vehicles um, to understand this time frame, right? So it turns out that there's two and a half billion global vehicles. Uh, the total output of vehicles is something around 100 million. This means that every single factory in the world is currently capable of producing 100 million vehicles per year. So obviously, if you were to just magically flip a switch and converted all of today's vehicles to, you know, from internal combustion engine to electric, uh, it would take about 25 years to convert the, the world's entire fleet of vehicles to electric. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen truly like that. But if you extrapolate it out, um, you know, this is where you end up in that time frame looking at roughly 2050, 2060. By that time frame, more or less, you should see a pretty healthy saturation of replacement, I should say, of internal combustion engine vehicles by electric vehicles. Now, with respect to uh, this article by Professor Talbot, so if you look at Governor Newsom's uh, declaration a couple episodes back, we discussed this in length, that by 2035, the sale of new internal combustion engine vehicles would be banned in California. And again, just so there's no misunderstanding, this is only the sale of new internal combustion vehicles. There's nothing to stop you from buying used ones or from going to another state and buying there and coming back to California. This, as she suggests, offers a really great framework for what needs to happen with autonomous vehicles, right? So it's clear that we need an executive order to, as she say, uh, <clears throat> it's clear, as she says, that we need an executive order that has essentially ensured a robust future for electric vehicles in California. Similarly, though, and, and this is obviously for the benefit of not just the environment, but honestly for technological innovation generally, for, for, for jobs, just for a better life and how about just being the best technologically in the world? I mean, why not? Um, and, and similarly, then, there's this idea, she suggests, that we're going to need eventually an executive order with respect to autonomous vehicles. To the point of the previous segment, uh, yeah, because eventually, when you look at how many people are dying, we are going to need just such, such an executive order. It will be the case that we need an executive order that mandates that by a certain year, at least on certain roads or types of roads or certain municipalities, it'll need to be the case that autonomous vehicles are mandated. Now, this is an interesting thing to discuss, right? And even as I'm speaking of this, I almost misspoke. But look, this is really quite different to the previous segment in which we just discussed when should human drivers be banned. And now that I think about it, I didn't really directly answer the question, when should that occur? But But let's kind of get to that here, right? So you can't really address the question of when humans should be banned unless and until you've already addressed the question of when will autonomous cars be mandated, right? Because you can't ban human drivers until you've got autonomous vehicles uh, mandated on the roads. And once those are mandated on the roads, then you can start to scale back human-driven vehicles on those same roads and so on. So, so again, one of the big discussions is how are autonomous vehicles going to coexist with human-driven vehicles? This is obviously a really big challenge. 
without getting into it again, because I've said it so many times before, no, you don't need to do it that way. Just keep them separate. Keep them physically separate. Whether they are physically separate lanes that are kind of walled off or otherwise protected, or whether they are indeed entirely separate roads that are for AVs only, you start there. That's sufficient for level four, and then you kind of ramp up, and once you get to level five, then you can mix. You can mix with human-driven cars. And that's the point at which you start to scale back uh, human-driven cars. But again, this begins with... So, so the chicken and egg goes, first you mandate the autonomous vehicles, you scale them up level four, certain lanes, certain roads, then you mandate level five vehicles. Once those start to kind of saturate the roadways, and once the data speaks for itself, that indeed accident rates and injury and death rates are dropping, what better metric do you need to finally start to ban humans? And, and so again, kind of looping back, so, so that kind of closes the loop on the previous segment, but kind of coming back then to this particular discussion, um, the point of this article, which again, go check it out, it's on Forbes, it's titled Electric Vehicles Creating a Roadmap to Autonomous Vehicles. So it's this notion that since, as we've discussed many times, any company today working on an autonomous vehicles is effectively working on an electric vehicle too, and certainly vice versa. I'm not suggesting that you're not going to have semi-autonomous tech, like level three and potentially even level four tech, on internal combustion engine cars. Certainly those can be applied to those kinds of vehicles, but, but going forward, everything today is with an eye towards electric. In fact, Volvo just announced that their next generation of the spectacular XC90 SUV will be their last model to have an internal combustion engine, which is a really big deal. But yeah, and so, so when you consider this time frame now, at least here in California, electric vehicles uh, really taking center stage come 2035, you recognize the interplay between electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles. And the point of this article is, is pretty solid, right? Uh, again, it's, it's got to be the case you eventually have government intervention because there are certain things, there are you know, certain type of status quo. It's called status quo because it doesn't change. And things tend not to change because they're just good enough. It's sort of like, yeah, that'll do. In a funny sort of way, um, it, it's sort of like evolution, right? Like biological evolution, which is like the laziest mechanism in the history of the planet. It, biological evolution is just all about that'll do. Yeah, it's good enough. And as long as it's good enough, then so be it. So, but there, 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 there comes a time and a place where you need to kind of strong arm things and whether it's getting combustion engine vehicles off the road and replacing them with electric or indeed getting human drivers off the road, replacing them with autonomous vehicles. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to require government mandate to do that. So I do stand by my original uh, projections. I do think that we're going to start to see this happening somewhere in the 2030 or 2040 timeframe. We're going to start to see the first roads here and there um, mandating autonomous vehicles, and then shortly thereafter, the banning of human-driven cars as well in those particular regions. Um, by the way, incidentally, uh, on point, I should mention, one of our other associates, uh, Jeffrey Everson, he's a PhD based in Boston, he's actually published not too long ago a really great article where he's been studying mathematical models to determine objectively when Autonomous vehicles are indeed safer than human-driven vehicles. So if you haven't seen it yet, go check out 
check out his article over at our website at hogandco.com. Go to the blog, you'll find it there. Yeah, so so that's all I've got to say about that. Uh, I think that is a wrap for today. I'll see you back here on Friday. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, bye-bye.